Hello, and welcome once again to the Colorado Switchblade. I'm Jason Van Tatenow, your host, and it is a cold and snowing Sunday afternoon here in Estes Park. On the weekends, we like to do something a little bit more down-tempo, something a little bit more uplifting, talk about art, the things that make life worth living. And I have a treat for you this weekend. This is an interview I did back when I was working for the local newspaper here in Estes. And I noticed there was a, a going on in Aspen that I just had to get to. It was um, it was an art show. It was a pop-up art show that included DJ Spooky, a.k.a. Paul Miller. Um, and it had artwork from the Allen Ginsberg Estate and the William Burroughs Estate, along with work from the Gonzo Gallery there in Aspen, Colorado. So I found a ride and got out there and just found an interview. Sometimes as journalists, we get really lucky. And this is one of those times that I got really lucky because of who I was able to have an incredible conversation with. And that was Paul Miller, again, DJ Spooky. We had Peter Hale, who um, he's in charge of the Ginsburg estate. Uh, Alan Ginsberg, Yuri Zerpanzik with the Priz Agency, which specializes in members of the beat generation, amongst other things. And then we were joined later on in the conversation by DJ Watkins, who is a curator and, and director of the Gonzo Gallery there in Aspen, Colorado. And we had just an amazing conversation we were there in Aspen. It was after the opening of the show that night. And it was kind of a block party. Now, this this is back two summers ago when the Trump, there was a possibility of Trump being reelected. And we were right in the middle of the pandemic. So we were all socially distanced and wearing masks um, around two picnic tables out in the middle of the street that had been kind of shut down. And um, the conversation started off as just this pop-up show that happened, you know, kind of spur of the moment, but then quickly um, evolved into just an amazing conversation going many different directions, all about art and music and literature and how art gives people hope of possibility, how we become the stakeholders in change when we, we create art and we create writing and we create journalism, um, we create music. And, and how important art really is as a tool for fostering social and political change. Um, so I'm just going to jump right into this. And man, it, it really is worth listening to the very end of this podcast. I hope you enjoy it. I know I sure had a hell of a time participating in this conversation. Uh, hey, what's up, y'all? This is Paul Miller, a.k.a. DJ Spooky. Uh, I am an artist, writer, musician. Uh, my interest in Ginsburg and Burroughs is, I met Ginsburg at a show of Tony Schifrazi, uh with Julian Schnabel years ago. And he did a series of these really cool pamphlets called uh, Hanuman Press with Francesco Clemente. So I'm very interested in his relationship to contemporary art. And Burroughs was a huge influence in my work. And I've, um, I took my, one of my DJ names, the subliminal kid from his novel, uh, Nova Express. So what I've done here is kind of a homage to them uh, that's called Coded Language. And uh, I, I, we can dig into it later, but we'll just pass the mic to, to Peter. Uh, 
Peter Hale, I've worked uh, sort of the man on the ground for the Allen Ginsberg estate. Worked with Allen for five years before he died and sort of worked, became part of the crew that took care of his legacy after that. Um, so, yeah, we, we're basically in charge of replacing all the new books that come out, coming up with new projects, um, working with editors, translators, um, keeping his legacy alive. One of the things is obviously Alan's side project was being a photographer, and he, was, he definitely had a knack for it. Um, and that's one of the things we're showcasing here. Um, and part of his legacy that we really want to try and bring more focus to. So this is this is one well, good entry for that. So also the William Burroughs connection. Alan and William were probably the closest of all the Beat Generation. Alan and Jack were enormously close, but um, William, Alan had met before he met Jack, and they were closest of friends all the way to the very end. It's probably one person Alan photographed the most was William Burroughs. Through thick and thin, so yeah. And I'm Yuri Zupancic. I'll spell that very clearly because everyone's fucked it up. Y U R I Z as in zebra, U P A N C as in cat, I C Z U P A N C I C. And uh, I'm a, a curator and an artist and an art agency with a, a small organization called Pre's Agency, which is P R Y Z Agency. And uh, have a, a specialization in members of the B generation, among among other things, and have had a for the last twenty years worked very intimately with many people involved with, particularly the estate of William Burroughs, but as as well as the legacies of Ginsburg and and Kerouac and 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 Corso and and every all the other characters, Gary Snyder, that basically cherishing what these guys and gals did and doing everything I can to, to keep that legacy going forward. And my main focus has generally been the visual art because as somebody working very much in the visual art world, um, I very much inspired and impressed by what these guys did and also eager to have them recognized for more of what they did because they were so pigeonholed into the role of writer and it was taboo back then to, to kind of have that multi-faceted. Interdisciplinary yeah. artist was was not uh, was not a generous way to describe yourself, and and today it is, thankfully, and um, and so I'm just basically doing everything everything I can to help, uh, help promote and, and and shine light on all the other creative output of these cats that got overlooked. Okay, okay so. so let's talk about, so this is a pop-up show, and, and from what I've gathered, it, it happened really quick. Talk about the motivation and just the dynamic that brought you guys together um, for this, because it seems like this is a, a great collaboration here. Talk about how that happened so quickly and kind of the story there. I'd like to say the original impetus was um, at the beginning of the summer, um, I was approached by, by Daniel Watkins uh, of the Gonzo Gallery, who I have a long time friendship and collaboration with for, uh, you know, his art collection and everything he's trying to do. And 
um, you know, he approached me saying he, he wanted to do a pop-up gallery for the summer here and was looking for ideas and also wanting to showcase some of the things in his collection, in, which includes these amazing works of Burroughs, which he's been collecting for the past uh, five years. And, and Peter, right around the same time, contacted me to ignore, there's no such thing as coincidence, as, as Burroughs said. And, uh, and when these things all just kind of line themselves up, uh, my first instinct is to put all the energy I have into helping them come to fruition. So and how long ago did that, did, did you guys really start thinking about putting this on? Less than a month ago, I'd say a few weeks ago. Yeah. And, uh, but, but I mean, we're, Peter and I are also, you know, dear friends for many years. And um, so the conversation, there's, there's not much, uh, there are not many obstacles in our conversation. It's kind of like, hey, I got this crazy idea. And be like, well, here's what I think. And we basically just, uh, you know, within a, a matter of a, a few hours, probably decided, okay, that would be great. Let's do a Burroughs Ginsburg show. And uh, let's work together on, on getting some, some really incredible material that we want the world to see together. And, uh, you know, just address the nuts and bolts as they come along to, to screw it all together and to create a beautiful exhibition. And I'm happy to say we, we made it happen. Well, the timing is getting good as um, at the estate right now. We've um, this is the, uh, all of Alan's negatives are housed, housed at Stanford University, um, and we've been looking to, to to start printing up a lot of the images that Alan circled on his contact sheets uh, that he didn't have the time to actually get to before he died. Um, he didn't have the money. It was, his it, photography for him was was a was a hobby. And it was an expensive one back in the days because it was you had to pay the printer and you had sort of you know a lot of people he was trying to help their own his printers were struggling artists as well so he was he was, he was giving money to them and paying them full price to do a lot of the printing work um, so it was a huge burden for him so he didn't do a lot of the, he didn't do a lot of the stuff that he really wanted to but there was like all these contact sheets with images circled and so finally Stanford University has the technology of I mean the technology available for them to actually print up or scan the negatives and share them with us. And now we can do sort of high-end digital prints from these um, images. And then ultimately what probably what we'll do is actually get the negatives back from them to do real like silver gelatin prints. But for the time being, we've got these really high-resolution negative scans of images that Alan wanted to print up that now we have the, the technology to do. Some of these are featured here. Um, so we were we're going to test them out in a couple of different exhibitions. So by the time that Yuri had mentioned this, I'm like, let's let's try out a handful of these and see how people respond to them. So right now, what we've got, since it's a William and Allen relationship focus, one of the sort of most creative periods I think for the two of them together was when they were when they met together in Tangier for these two trips in 1956 and then again in 1961. Um, so. Four of the prints are from that period, and that's when they were all they all kind of met yeah. together. All the prints on that wall, yeah. well, except for one, but that's yeah, from, from that specific yeah. period. So um, we actually have a couple of books here, or of the letters that, that William was writing Alan when he first got to Tangier, and his drive was was going crazy, like trying to get adjusted there, and then Alan comes to visit. Um, so, but. Um, 
yeah, it's just sort of that just seemed like a completely natural thing. And then I think I was having a conversation with Paul, who just happened to be coming to Aspen for the summer. And I think the very next day, Paul's like, you know, Yuri and you know, DJ, or you guys have just sort of met. Yeah, it was super random. It was completely like, you know, happenstance. But hold on, there's no mistakes, but go ahead. Let's unpack. Um, Amusing enough, me and you have been in discussion where I'm I'm producing and working with them to do a um, reinterpretation of the fall of America. So I have a long range interest in Ginsburg and Amiri Baraka and and, uh, Burroughs, mainly from their relationship to collage and stream of consciousness narrative. So I did one of the first DJ remixes of Ginsburg, remember, uh, for uh, Adbusters. Yeah, right. Was uh, it the Stay Away from the White House? Was uh, it, was in the it, Vietnam was, War. In, in the Vietnam War, yeah. And so Adbusters, we had a big protest against, um, I've worked extensively in graphic design and political imagery, and Adbusters is kind of, do you, are you familiar with that? Yeah. Okay. So the guy who earns that magazine is a fan of my music and had asked me to do a mix of war, anti-war protest music. So I think that's when we first really... That was years ago now. I mean, it's the Iraq war. That was right. right. <laughs> yeah, We're still right. in Iraq. Come to right. think of it. So, um, so we cleared the rights through you guys. Uh, I mixed Ginsburg with some hip-hop elements and then had different artists. I had Bad Brains. I had um, uh, Michael Franti, Moby, a whole bunch of different, Yoko Ono, uh, all sorts of different people as an anti-war mega mix. And these are associates of mine. They were generally... It was a pleasure to put that together, but the collage, the collage element of Burroughs and the cut-up technique lends itself directly to DJing. So, um, to me at least, when I was first starting out, those guys were hanging around the Bowery a lot. Burroughs had a studio. <laughs> um, Burroughs was in the yeah. bunker. Yeah, the bunker. Two two twenty two. Which was um, <clears throat> right, right. Two twenty two Bowery. Two twenty two Bowery. So these Where kind of Mark Rothkoe had lived there like 20 years before, and it was a place that John Giorno had actually discovered. Um, and so we all, moved in there in the 1970s. But yeah. But the cool thing about this is that I did I had not met you like ever. Um, we met once, but it was very brief because I came to your concert in Lawrence, Kansas. <laughs> the Antarctica. I remind you the name. Terra Nova. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and I just met you at the merch table. It was okay. like, oh, this is amazing. I, I bought a Sound Unbound, which I still listen to and treasure, because it's really a masterpiece of, uh, you know, in, in, in the same vein of what we're all talking about, is taking influences from the past and, and, and representing these uh, to, to today's audiences. And um, Anyway, that was my brief interjection of like the, that, that was our only one brief encounter. And which James Grauerholz was around then as well. Absolutely. Um, so Burroughs and me have a resonant spiritual kindred. Peter's amazing, yours amazing. And we all somehow ended up in this vortex of Aspen in the middle of the pandemic. Right, right. And, and it, all just kind of, it felt like it naturally came together. I mean, so you're doing this, Paul's here, he's doing that. Paul and I have been working together, Yuri and I have been working together. So, so, yeah, so to, talk to, about uh, a little about that. I want to reel back about the Fall of America project. This is, this is, this is a little bit of a side story, but the Fall of America was, is a collection of poems. Alan, Alan did five books with City Lights, and they're these pocket poet series books. So the first one was, was Howell, which was their fourth book. I think Furling Getty was the first one. That was Furling Getty's um, publishing house. And of course, it was Howell and the other poems, which was what put Alan on the map because of the obscenity trial. 
Um, and then Alan's next collection was Reality Sandwiches, then it was Cottage, and then Planet News, and then really what his um, Fall of America project was all about was to, he was, he got a tape recorder, and he was, he was going to just start narrating poems into this tape recorder. It was a, it was a portable, it was like one of the first versions of that, it was a U-Hur, and he bought it actually with money that Bob Dylan had given. He starts like in the north, in the Pacific Northwest in 1965 in the fall, and just starts narrating everything he sees outside the window, stream of consciousness, pretty much from from the fall of 1965 through basically going back and forth across the country until 1972. But the whole point of that book was this: I'm going to be recording myself and I'm going to be writing these poems until the end of the Vietnam War. And then by 1971, he realizes the war isn't going to end. And in fact, halfway through the book, he's like, the war isn't going to even end. So that's when he started to put together poems that ended up in what became Planet News. So Planet News and, and Fall of America are kind of these, these interchangeable group of poems. That, so he's like, well, I'll put a book out that has some of the great pieces from Fall of America or from that kind of idea, put it in Planet News. And then by the time 72 rolls around, he's like, I can't. It's over to follow, he publishes Fall of America, but he's transcribed all these poems from these recordings, edited them pretty meticulously, and actually some of them haven't changed a single bit from actually what the recordings are. But that was, you know, it was like the fabled uh, um, um, damned of America that Reverend would talk about. But, um, so that's why he uses Fall of America as the, um, it's actually a, a, a reference that I can't pull up in my head right now but um so i think that's one of his great sort of like um underappreciated collections of poems and i think part of it's because it's such a thick collection though it's still one of the pocket poet series that are you know you can fit it in your back pocket but it's, it's a thick one and some of the poems are very long so he actually kind of left the, the left the actual the, um, um integrity of like a whole piece so if he's recording from say kansas city to bloomington indiana and so he keeps that all in one piece and kept them in sort of a long poem I, the, the centerpiece of it is the is wichita vortex sutra um, where he actually arrives in wichita as it's being like the center of america and it, that's where the vortex of america is and this is very um Poignantly, he declares the end of the war in that poem because he's really obsessed with the war and how it's completely tearing America apart, and hence the fall of America. So, fall of America then is so rich with this uh, everything common. The, um, the radio is playing in the background, so he's commenting on the actual news that's happening at the time. Um, what Johnson is saying, McNamara, McNamara is saying this, and Alan's commenting on McNamara's comments, and this is sort of like, so this is all kind of like a rich kind of like snapshot, plus stream of consciousness. Right. So, well, let's unpack that for a second, because the political dimension of this summer is resonant with what was going on when he was writing from the late 60s to about the early 70s. We have probably one of the most important elections in human history coming up, where Trump I could argue that if he wins again, it's the end of the American experiment. Um, and democracy requires 
these kinds of tensions between, let's call it a dialectic, you know, between, you know, an informed populace and a political system that actually responds to people's choices and decisions. One could argue the last election was deeply flawed. We had you know, hackers, we had Russian interference, we had all, all, all sorts of the Electoral College. Facebook. Yeah, you know, Facebook, uh, voter suppression, etc. For 2020, they're going to just go crazier with all of this. And um, it's going to get deeper and weirder. And this is the summer where it's like the, the eye of the storm right now. And um, the pandemic has set up a situation. It's very Barosian. It's, this is a summer of Burroughs. Uh, thing, virus. Yeah, virus, language, uh, algorithms, you know, secret Gestapo police pulling people off the street in Portland. Um, no, this is real stuff going on now. But do you, these poets and writers anticipated and then kind of created a nonlinear relationship to time itself well, by their writing and their poetry of that time, by, by tearing apart the, um, the, the loops, so to speak, holding those times together. And by the visual art as well, which is something that hasn't come up much, but as you'll see in the, the photographs, particularly those of Burroughs, but you're only here because Peter offered to bring these photographs of this time in Tangier. I'm like, oh, well, I actually have access to the photographs that Burroughs took of, of his uh, ephemeral photo collages he was creating. And his whole uh, vision behind this was to, to break timelines, to break space lines, and to basically see reality for what it was without uh, the bias of the time or space you're in. And um, I mean, he was talking about fake news 50 years ago and was absolutely uh, what you might have called paranoid then, but now you call prescient about uh, the threat of misinformation. So I think this is a really, this is something that as a writer and an artist has really been on my mind that we're in such a historical moment. And we look back in history now and the voices that give us our notions of what history was, those historical moments were in the past have been the writers and the artists. And we really, the torch is being handed to us right now to, to really kind of express what we're going through as, as a people in this point in time in history, how how important, I mean, you obviously are, are on that tangent a little bit, how important do you think it is for, for us as artists and creatives and writers to 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 really document this? And, and yeah, let's, I mean, I'm glad DJ, DJ just joined us as well. This is his gallery. So I want to just mention in the context of what you were just saying, this year is the 75th anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which also centered in Burroughs' stuff about apocalyptic narrative, the rise of the Cold War, um, after World War II and the sort of nuclear detente between the, the Soviets and the U.S. And Burroughs actually went to Boy Scout camp at, on a site, which a few years later got bought by the government, and was where they did uh, that. The, the, the Trinity test and Manhattan Project happened where he came of age as a, you know, as a scout, as a student. Uh, and so obviously those shadows hung over him from a young age. And so those kinds of, like... Um, Cold War tensions, nuclear political issues. My model right now is we're in the era of biopolitics because of the way the virus is being used for right-wing narratives to create more, more of an oppressive situation. So they're using the fear of the virus to, for example, gut environmental regulations, gut human rights, set up a more of a secret police. Um, I mean, this is stuff that's now, I mean, every day you read more and more of what the Trump administration is using that's far worse than anything Nixon could have dreamed of. 
So where the B poets and especially Ginsburg and Burroughs were, I would view as reflection sites of the Cold War and the, the, the lack of momentum of the American experiment at that time uh, to make a more perfect society, to make equality become part of the fabric of our nation state. The assassination of Martin Luther King in 1968, etc. All that lingers over our time now. Um, and this virus stuff has really destabilized the entire global narrative. Like one microorganism has brought the entire capitalist system to a grinding halt. And, um, you know, I just came here from New York a couple weeks ago, 30,000 people dead, hundreds of thousands of Americans dead. That's straight out of Burroughs. And it's, you know, yeah, and I think, yeah. Speculating wildly or so we thought about, uh, about the possibility of uh, the pandemics and about uh, the the power, and I mean, he famously said, you know, language is a virus, and, um, you know, wrote his, these, what you may call science fiction narratives about uh, these viruses uh, totally, you know, flooding the world with, uh, with, uh, with these horrible afflictions and creating disorder in all of our society, but he also used these viruses as metaphors for what language and information and uh, and and mass media has the potential to do as well, and um, so I think what we're seeing today, which is obviously the headlines, are about this you know very real, very physical uh, virus that attacks the the, the human organism, but uh, the vessels of transmission and the way we get all the information for this represents its own kind of virus, as Burroughs would say, that uh, there's these whole other kind of, uh, you know, biomes or, um, in order to really understand what's what's happening with your information, you have to look at it from all angles and, and Burroughs, one of his approaches was to, to look at language and information as an organism, which uh, may come from outer space, but, <laughs> In whatever, wherever its origins are, it's 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 reality is, is something that it's it's possible that the most effective way to analyze and and observe and learn from this is to look at it as though it was a natural product of our natural world, and uh, and address it as such. But you're, you know exactly what you were just saying, and this ties back to what Peter was saying as well. Is two of the trajectories that comes out of both Burroughs and Ginsburg is the sort of digital context that people like William Gibson created in Neuromancer. Um, And then on the other hand, The Matrix, where I'll give you a funny example. There's this one scene where there's a glitch in The Matrix and there's a black cat that keeps kind of popping up. And um, Agent Smith, remember? like So there's a whole bunch of, in Burroughs' novels, there's different agents. And um, the Matrix guys always said that they were uh, the Wachowski brothers, now Wachowski sisters. sisters, (laughs) Um, They said they were inspired by Burroughs as well. But there's a sensuality to Ginsburg's work that is also resonant, and how, of course, but to me, this is the, the summer of the fall, you know, fall of America as a poem, um, resonates with so much of the issues of what it is to have an experiment in democracy come to some, like, transitional moment, and that's where I think this is show, this show is so important and that kind of meditation on that. I mean, I'm going to go back to that Whitman quote that I was struggling for. It's the fabled damned of nations that Whitman talks about in his Democratic Vistas. So it's very prescient. And sort of Alan's referring to the fall of America as that, that sort of his, his Whitman connection to that. So he's, he's, he's pulling all the way back from 
from Vietnam during the Civil War. Right. <clears throat> so we're tied in. There's, you know, that Freudian quote. He's like, "Everywhere I go, I find a poet's been there first. So this is like we have like writers and, and creative people have always been there somehow, like decades, if not centuries ahead. So we are sort of the, the and that's one of the main motivations uh, to, to, to celebrate and to research the work of these guys is because they were drawing from the past. So by drawing from their work, we're also drawing from the past and all the extensive research they did into, into all these subjects. And I mean, we're all of some of our influences, but these guys had such a diverse and rich span of influences that uh, their sum total is, you know, and we get a portion of that from their influence on us. Oh, oh yeah, exactly. Right, right. Yeah, right. I mean, that's, that's how it transfers kind of down the timeline. Down into that and crystallizing yeah. in a really sort of beautiful and poetic and like very articulate form. That so it carries us hopefully you know, to the next to the next crisis and past. So, so let, let me ask you this: I mean, we are in a scary time. I was about ready to open a gallery in Essex. I'm not doing it. Yeah. What, what, what do you guys? What, what are your fears with? where the future of the art world, the, the music world, the, the world for creatives and, and that outlet. Everything is on pause to this November election for me right now. I mean, I'm, I'm finished. I'm, fin <laughs> I'm finishing yeah, a book right. and yeah. I'm trying as much as possible to get Trump out of office through every possible means. And um, if so, let's say that the world timeline, I firmly believe that time itself is nonlinear and we live in a world where there's a kind of a sense of simultane simultaneity everywhere. There's quantum physics involved with that. There's a, like string theory, all sorts of stuff. But if Trump wins, that's one path. If Trump loses, that's another path. Right. And so right now we're in the Schrodinger. Right. Box. We're in this like little. I, I call this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so if he obviously, right. said last time. even if he wins, he won't. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. when Nixon won in a landslide. Yeah. And everyone thought that, that was like the worst and heavy and terrible and, and then the world still goes on with us the world because i mean it's 100 degrees in siberia um deserts are growing right i mean this is a worse some it's the hottest summer in human history it's the hottest summer in 12 million years as far as i've read <laughs> i mean so but there's, it's a hoax yeah well and well, if, they, if they won't believe a virus is causing problems how are they going to believe yeah when the world's on fire, fire yeah. until they're on fire right so these are all things that linger over the conversation at the moment. And if you're looking at how the arts can give people a sense of hope and possibility, that's where the, the importance of Ginsburg's poetry, because he was, you know, at a very dark time, gave people that, you know, that the primal scream, how um, John Lennon, you know, Yoko Ono, all sorts of pretty interesting stuff out of the 60s that allowed people to feel that they were stakeholders in change. And so, you know, um, as we think of art, most people think art is separate from political change, which actually, to me, is the opposite. That art gives people a portal into possibility. And so that's what I'm saying. Like this notion of the election coming up, it reminds me of how that late 60s kind of momentum of yeah, cultural change. Summer of 68. Yeah, summer of 68, summer of 68 riots. Yeah, our generation. Yeah, virus, riots, et cetera. All of that's very resonant with Burroughs, very resonant with Ginsburg. And Tom Benton. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's so great that DJ's collection, in addition to all the incredible uh, bros and, and connections to other things, is, is a very rich collection of R by Thomas W. Benton and Hunter S. Thompson, who were attacking all these same questions from slightly different angles. And, and I'm all the more thrilled with the, the Bros. Ginsburg show to be next to a show of R by Thomas W. Benton. 
making this political art, like talking about impeaching Nixon years before he was impeached, for example. And, and, and also his quote on a poster for a re-elected president that said, celebrate man's inhumanity to man. <laughs> uh, I just like to echo Paul's statement that, you know, I think that art is a really important tool for fostering social change and political change. And it's not, um, in today's day and age, you know, we're lacking a lot of voices on the visual level to kind of promote change. And, and I think that we're almost in a way going back historically to look at what was said then to know what to say now. And I think, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. So a lot of these powerful statements that were made then have a renewed meaning today looking at what's going on. So DJ, real quick, since we got everyone else, can you can you tell me your full name and spell it for me real quick? Sure, uh, Daniel Joseph Watkins. And oh, just Watkins. Good. Yeah, W-A-T-K-I-N-S. Okay. And so you yeah. own the gallery here. Yeah. Talk about, this really came about really quickly. Can you talk about that process? Yeah. And, um, you know, meeting Peter and um, Yuri and Paul and everything has been, you know, very synchronous, make up a word. Um, synchronous. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were all together. Synchronocratic. Synchronocratic. Um, we, we had a cool lunch with uh, Jean-Jacques Lavelle in Paris. And we got to know each other and we're all... Yeah, we all Friends. made Marquette, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Off the record. <laughs> and uh, we had, you know, it's a it's a synergistic thing going on. You know, you can't do anything yourself that's powerful. You have to have smart, powerful partners that are engaging and interesting. And so it's just I'm very lucky to have friends like these and to collaborate and um, and so basically, you know, Yuri's expertise with Burroughs and Peter's expertise with Ginsburg and my expertise with Hunter and Tom Benton and Paul's knowledge. And we all just thought it'd be a cool team and bring everybody together and do something special. Now, I like to throw in a quick word to his credit. He wouldn't say for himself, but he mentioned a, a shortfall of uh, what I heard as, you know, critical thought and um, and. Uh, and really dedicated efforts to, 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 you know, to try to make a difference and try to and, and educate and, and learn and, and, and push society forward. And with that, you couldn't say that anymore for any other world, any more than you could say for the art world, which is often full of shallow, completely commercially based things, which is why I'm personally so excited to work with, with Daniel and, and, and proud and excited for what he's done to to not just uh, be trying to, to, to flip art as an art gallerist, but to trying to actually archive and document and promote and share these incredibly powerful and insightful messages to the world okay. while he's doing a commercial art gallery. You know? Yeah. So one last question for everyone, we'll wrap it up. Yeah. Um, what, what are your projects? Do you guys have any projects in the future in the works that you're planning on or you've put everything on hold at this point? Yeah. Right? Well, they mentioned the Fall of America project, which is ongoing. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we're, this is the summer where I'm producing elements of that. And then I'm also finishing a book 
uh, for Duke University Press called Digital Fictions, The Future of Storytelling. And it's about how algorithms have changed the way we think of what is a narrative, what is a story. Um, I'm putting that together here in Aspen. Um, just going to be, you'll see me sitting at a cafe or whatever away from people, but I'll be writing uh, furiously to get that done. Um, I'm also finishing an album called The Invisible Hand. Um, mostly, all this stuff is just, I can do it with my laptop. So, um, And there's a spot actually near Estes called Caribou Ranch up in near Netherland, uh, where John Lennon used to record. Yeah, and Elm now there's a bunch of people recording up there. So I'm going to go up there and probably master the album. Again, it's on my laptop, so it's not a huge production. I can just sit on, on a porch of this building. But um, the basic idea is um, Colorado, is it's a big inspiration for me right now. And um, I'm fascinated by the fact that here we are in a small town, Aspen, where I, I, you're, I remember bumping into you. And I was like, yo, this is a great show. Um, and the work reminds me, it's resonant with this sort of modernness. And we, so we ended up talking. And then the, one of the guys sitting there was like the sheriff yeah. of Aspen. <laughs> And then I was yeah, like, he's right back there. Well, that's the, that's the old sheriff. Yeah, right? no, yeah. Like the current sheriff, Joe DeSalvo, is here. Yeah, yeah. Just, and I was yeah. like, then we Joe started talking. And I was like, do you know this guy, Peter Hale? You should, you guys should. And he's like, I just, and we, we were just talking a little while ago. <laughs> and we're in the middle of a random small town in the middle of nowhere. And so it was a charming. Yeah, so that's, anyway, those are the projects. And I'll be cranking on those all summer and just kind of just type it. Oh, and I actually have. We're hosting the 75th anniversary um, uh, global meditation on um, the peace, like the Hiroshima Peace Institute with Yoko and a whole bunch of different artists about the peace industry because this year is the 75th anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And the the Japanese, like I was in Japan last year, I think I even texted you when I was in Tokyo, I was in Hiroshima. We had a concert at Ground Zero where they had actually uh, dropped the bomb. And... This year, we're doing a, a series of artists and meditating on the future of what is peace. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of producing that with the Hiroshima Peace Institute. That'll, that's all going to be online. Awesome. Side note, I, I'll have to show you some of my grandfather's work. He was stationed uh, at Hiroshima after the bomb dropped in. He was a big sculptor in the 50s and 60s New York City at the Sculpture Center. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, a lot of his work has to do with what he saw in the aftermath. Let's do it. I'm told. Yeah. So when, I, when, you, when you're heading up, Near Estes, you have to give me a ring and yep. yeah, I'll get you. We can have a drink it. at that hotel where they shot The Shining. Stamina, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can see it from my front deck. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so eerie. Here's Johnny. Yeah. Right. yeah, I can bring you to the rooms. I know all the people right, doing wow. the ghost tours. That labyrinth yeah. isn't really there, right? No, well, cool. they're so growing like one now. Oh, are they? Uh, but, as well. Yeah. Just like yeah. The labyrinth is cool. Make there it, are yeah, some yeah, underground yeah. tunnels that are really cool, though. Right? Oh, yeah? And if you guys ever make it up, I can get you down into the tunnels. and You better get count you. on it. All right. right. I'm going to be there. You guys have my card. So. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. To tie in with Paul, some of the projects we're working on is the Fall of America. Um, it's the 50th anniversary of the public, uh, of, of, of this completion of the Fall of America. It was 1971. So... Um, it's just inviting artists to do musical interpretations of any of the poems in it. And um, we've approached, you know, we've got a great sort of sweet people. Um, uh, Angela Piju, um, Bob Weir, Mickey oh, Hart, Philip Glass, um, Philip Glass yeah. Sakamoto. Yeah, Ryuchi Sakamoto. Saul Williams. Saul Williams. Wow. Potentially uh, yeah, definitely keep me so, in so, the loop know, on This is sort of like a great way to sort of like just like, First, like re- you know, reignite your interest in poetry, but also that collection of poetry, and also how powerful that poetry is, but also sort of a recognition that we've been here before, 
this is the struggle that America went through, and this is kind of a recognition of, of and in, in recognition of that momentum, I think that a lot of us are looking back to this, like, where did that momentum dissipate? And so everybody says, like, let's reinvestigate this through sort of Ginsburg's poetry. Um, so, and that actually we're doing in conjunction with Headcount, which is a get out the vote. So everything is a, is a, is a, is a donation to charity for Headcount, which is Peter Shapiro, who is basically the Bill Graham for the East Coast, He's sort of taken over. He basically does the fish shows in the East Coast. Peter, uh, yeah, he, he owns uh, Brooklyn Bowl. He brought, he's the Brooklyn Bowl franchise. So, I mean, before the COVID thing hit, we sort of figured, like, we'll team up with them so let's, you know, we'll have all those venues available to us if we want to do a couple of shows in conjunction with this. So, I mean, it, it, it's just a wonderful um, <clears throat> marriage of a lot of different uh, um, talents and energies. And so... We hope to get as much of that out as we possibly can before the election comes, but there's, there's going to be more elections, so that's going to keep going on. But as far as, as, far as other sort of Ginsburg projects, we've been publishing... Tell about the photos, too. Yeah, and then we'll get to that, which is yeah. sort of... So there's actually the, the journals, the concurrent journals that Alan was, was keeping while he wrote, while he was editing uh -huh. all of those poems, is being published by University of Minnesota Press in August. So that's like a, going to be like an 800-page tome. But University of Minnesota Press has been publishing all of Alan's journals from South America and um, Eastern Europe for the past five years. But um, ultimately, so what I think one of the more interesting and more exciting projects, too, is also sort of reviving, trying to get more interest in Alan's photography, which really is like this. It's just, uh, it just shows his interconnectedness and, and the friendships that really sort of helped the counterculture from the 1950s on. Which is marriage and marrying his friends, were starting with William Burroughs in the 1950s and 60s, but all the artists that they all collaborated with. You know, Francesco Clemente is one of the most, another one of the most photographed friends of his. Uh, Roy Lichtenstein. Um, and there's a little Clemente um, trivia in there. Jean Michel Basquiat. Um, and so. Sylvia <clears throat> Kurt Cobain worked with uh, Burroughs. And Kurt Cobain worked with Burroughs too. So these are. So, so, the photography, I think, is just another way to get you know, um, visually interested people into the poetry, into the literary world, and find that there's, there's just so and much. Burroughs did a lot of audio stuff, too. Oh, yeah. The audio. Yeah, yeah. He's Christmas. I listen I mean, to every Christmas. Who does it right? Thanksgiving for every Thanksgiving. And I was also so, one of the first DJs to remix him, too. Out there. <laughs> and yeah. so, so we have a wonderful confluence of all these kind of great um, intelligence streams happening right right here. And so we have a wonderful visual entrance to the, the latter half of the 20th century. And really, that, that this is, you know, with Hunter Thompson, Thomas Benton. These are, you know, incredibly important. Yeah, we we need our Hunter Thompsons right now. We we need our version of these artists desperately. They're, I mean, they are there. I mean, let's put it this way: the political movements of our time. I mean, this is a slight pivot from what Peter was just saying, but I think right now the the idea of the artist as um, kind of vaccine or or virus. I'm not sure yet, but the way um, these guys were kind of an antidote to a specific corrosive mentality of of that. Kind of like um, the great American society of that time. Um, yeah, everyone, the, the American dream of that time was 2.5 kids and a, a front lawn filled with pesticides and grass. Or, you know, like the, the Brady Bunch. Amusing enough, um, 
you know, wars are being fought, corporations are looting, all this stuff was happening just so people could have like a little front lawn and their kid running, you know, around and in a, a segregated suburb someplace. I mean, now um, there's a business on. Yeah. I used to work for Edaw. They, they go in and they bomb a place in the Middle East, and this is the company that comes in and redesigns the parks they bombed out. Good. Well, yeah. I mean, this is, <laughs> yeah right. that, that, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I think that the, this project and the curation and what Peter's doing with the estate and what you know these kind of things that are converging right now. They are portals into possibility. That's my my man again yeah, for right, 2020. Right, right. It's like the portals into optimism. I think no. there's, a, there's, a, there's a real genuine optimism that sort of feels yeah. these, these collaborations, these connections, and portals into the reality that it's our duty as critical thinkers to affirm and accept and and move on from. Because uh, yeah, and I mean it ties in with, with this whole show, this this dialogue between Burroughs and Ginsburg. Of, if you wanted to exaggerate their differences, you might call Ginsburg an optimist talking about love and Burroughs a pessimist nihilist talking about destruction war. But Can I interrupt that? Please. <laughs> please. There's a, there's a great anecdote. When they were on, on stage at Europa giving a talk one night, and Burroughs was really getting interested in lemurs at the time, and he was, he was particularly heartbroken about the Amazon forest destroying habitat for some of these, you know, these, these creatures and animals that he was completely sort of in love with because he <clears throat> he would focus all of his emotional energy on his humans were just too much for him and he really like cats lemurs and he was sort of so distraught he's like they're what kind of stupid creature would systematically cut off its own lung system homo sap is through homo sap <laughs> is over it would take us a miracle to get out of this and then alan pipes and he's like well it's a miracle we're all here and that is like the exact, <laughs> that shows yeah. the exact diametric sort of dynamic those two guys have. Oh, that's opposite, cool. but it was that. Well, anything else you guys want to add? Um, it's a beautiful night in Aspen, and it's a pleasure to, to see you guys. I'll just say toast to, toast, cheers, cheers cheers to the yes. underworld. Cheers. Or not. The world's been ending since it began. <laughs> but we haven't done it yet. But we haven't done it yet. That's right. There's an and all this time, we still haven't had one true end of the world. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, folks. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I thought it was just an amazing conversation and, and just as poignant today as it was a couple of years ago. Well, this week's going to be a busy week. I'm going to be heading off to Washington, D.C. on the very beginning of the week. And I will be journaling what the experience is going to a congressional inquest. I may wind up being one of the star witnesses during the summer's uh, Capitol 6 insurrection um, hearings. So we'll see how it goes and I'll keep you all apprised and I will, uh, I'll be putting into podcast format what's going on there. I'll also be releasing my interview with Corey Hutchins from, uh, Behind the Colorado News, he just did an article about me on Friday. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. And, um, you know, I, I've got another uh, Esses Park Town Council candidate coming up, hopefully this next week. And, um, you know, here's a little thing that may be happening. I may actually be helping to put on a debate on one of the local election issues that are happening in town on April 6th. 
So that might be uh, a very interesting development. We'll see if it pans out. I'll keep you apprised. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you had a great weekend. I'll talk to you soon on the Colorado Switchblade. This is Jason Van Tatenhove.